Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 11. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Can I tell you something? This is all you need. All you need. This is all you need. It's called the Bible. And the words that are between these pages will change your life. And you know what will happen? You'll be so satisfied and so refreshed with the washing of the water of the word of God that when new stuff come in, you'll be like, oh, that's new. That'll be gone in a week. Oh, that's new stuff. Oh, people are chasing that. I don't need that. All I need is Jesus. You see, you won't be tossed about going here and going there for every new thing. Loving God, loving his word is all that we need. John, he wasn't a reed tossed about with the wind. John was the wind tossing the reeds. He wasn't even worried about being politically correct. As we so often are even in the church today, have you noticed? We're in the tolerance in the church today. We're into tolerance. And tolerance simply means this. Don't ever tell me what I'm doing is sin. Don't ever tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Because if you do, then you're, being, you're not being tolerant. They tell you. One guy even told me, he said, you know, Pastor Rodney, there's no absolutes. There are no absolutes. I said, are you absolutely sure? He's, he said, well, I don't know. I said, because reality, yes, there is absolutes. And yes, there is absolutely this thing called rebellion and sin against God. And we as Christians are, are, are reported as not being tolerant because we speak against those things that are absolutely in contrary to the scriptures. We live in a weird world, you guys. You know, good is evil and evil is good. Dark is light and light is dark. Ying is yang and yang is ying. We live in a weird, have you noticed? We live in a weird world. You know, William Penn said this, and I love this quote. He said, right is right even if everyone is against it, and wrong is wrong even if everyone is for it. Isn't that true? You know, well, you know, Pastor Rodney, everybody's doing it now. Everybody in society, society's changed. Everybody's doing it. Yeah, but the word of God hasn't changed. Amen, saints? God's word hadn't changed. It's the same. And, and Jesus said to the disciples, did you go out to see a reed shaken in the wind with John? You won't find that. John is stable. John is not tossed about like tumbleweeds. John is stable and secure with unwavering faith, faith, not vacillating like weeds shaken in the wind. John wasn't like that. John was a great man and bold in the Lord. And then he said, did you go out to see a man clothed in soft clothes? clothing. 
Notice that. Do you think you're going to find a guy dressed in fancy clothes when you go out? You see, John was rough and John was rugged and John lived an ascetic life. That's a life of denial. John had long hair and John had a beard and he lived in the desert and he wore a camel hair Armani suit with leather. John didn't look like a preacher. He looked more like a biker. He didn't look like a preacher. You know, people say that about me. They say, Pastor Ronnie, you don't, you don't, you don't look like a preacher. Well, what does a preacher look like? Well, not like you. No. <laughs> well, what does a preacher look like? You know, circular reasoning here. I remember one time I was telling him in second service, talking about looking like a preacher. I remember I was out in Southern California, and uh, I, will ne- I will never forget this. I'm at Home Depot or some hardware store like that. And I'm and I going in, you know, people coming out. You know, we say hi to everybody because that's kind of where we are. And, and so this lady comes out. This lady, she must be about 72 or 76 years old. A little short, little black lady, you know, nice lady. And she comes out, and she's just getting out. And I'm hey, how you doing? And she looks at me, how are you doing? And we got to chatting a little bit, just casually chatting. And, and while we were talking, she just started, you know, you know, kind of staring at me a little odd. And then she started looking around my head. And she's going like this, you know, she's just kind of looking around the side of my head. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's a crazy woman. You know, so I'm, I met a, a crazy, crazy lady. And so I'm like, okay. And she's just looking around my head. And she's going around the side. And she, she, she finally said to me, she goes, you a preacher? I said, um, well, why'd you ask? She goes, because you got a really fat neck. And I said, well, what's up with that? She goes, oh, preachers got fat necks. Preachers got fat. I said, well, I'm trying to work on it, lady. I'm trying to lose some weight. I don't want a fat neck. I'm trying to lose a little bit. She said, oh, you got a fat old neck. I'm like, what does a preacher look like? I don't know. Preachers all have fat necks. Stand up if you have a fat neck, would you? Maybe you're a preacher. I don't know what's up with that. What does a preacher look like? John didn't look like a preacher. He certainly didn't. John lived, the Bible says John lived a self, selfless life. He didn't indulge himself, and, and, and he wasn't spoiled on the luxuries of this world. John didn't live a name-it-and-claim-it prosperity gospel. In contrast to the religious leaders of the day who loved the finer things in life, and they were living in king's houses. Did you go out to see someone in soft clothing? Ah, you're not going to find that in John, Jesus says. And did you go out to see a prophet? Now, the other two were no. This answer is yes. Jesus says, yes, you went out to see a prophet because you knew that there was a real prophet out there, and you saw more than a prophet. You know, it just occurred to me, John the Baptist He never did one miracle. John the Baptist never raised the dead. He never, you know, did signs and wonders. He he never did anything great, if you will, in terms of miracles and things like that. But the greatness of John the Baptist was not the miracles, but it was the clarity of his message. That's what Jesus said when he quotes Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messengers before your face who will prepare your way before you. You see, John is more than a prophet because he is the prophet that was prophesied by other prophets. John was the valedictorian of prophets. He was a prophet, but he was also the subject of prophecy. Jesus said, did you go out to see a prophet? 
Oh, yes. And then notice in your Bibles again, look at it again in verse 11. Jesus says, among all those who were ever born to women, none is greater than John the Baptist. John was greater than Moses, Abraham, Elijah, and David. And it's really interesting because John is in prison and bummed about being in prison. Jesus is outside telling the multitudes that John is great. Did you see that? In other words, God says things about you that he doesn't even tell you because he never told that to John. And he never told it to John's disciples. He told it to the multitudes. So God is saying things about you that he doesn't even tell you, probably because he doesn't want you to get the big head. You know, if God told us, oh, I just you are just the most the best thing since sliced bread. You are the best thing since ice cream. Oh, you know, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. You see, we get the big head. God loves us. God cares for us. And in heaven, you know, I'm pretty confident God is bragging about us. Of course, he was bragging about Job. Remember that? Satan comes to God and says, hey, God, what about Job, your servant Job? God says, oh, yeah, he loves me. And Satan says, yeah, he only loves you because you've got a protection around him. But take that protection away from him and he'll curse you. And God said, okay, fine, I know Job loves me, and I'll take the protection around, but don't touch his soul. Remember that? And Satan went to, you know, work on Job and destroyed everything, which tells me I really don't think I want God to brag on me in heaven, because <laughs> that's probably not a wonderful thing. I don't know. But I don't think so. But God loves us. And God's saying things about us that he doesn't even say to us. Notice in verse 12, we got to deal with this. Look at verse 12. Notice that it says again, and from the days of John the Baptist until now. Now note this, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. This is one of those verses that has caused a lot of grief in the church today. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What does this mean? Well, listen, in the Greek language, listen very closely, turn your brain on. In the Greek language, it is very possible that this phrase, the kingdom of God suffers violence, the violence take it by force, that it means, number one, Jesus could be saying, those who are in the kingdom suffer violence from those outside the kingdom such is the case in John with John the Baptist, such is the case presently. Those in the kingdom suffer violence from those outside the kingdom. Well, that's happening right now. John the Baptist is in prison, suffering violence, in prison. The kingdom of God, ever since the king of kings and the Lord of lords was born, King Herod sought to kill him. So that, and there was bloodshed and there was mayhem. And so the kingdom of heaven is being attacked and the violent enemies of the kingdom are trying to take it by force. That is one possible interpretation. The second possible interpretation is the kingdom of heaven is gotten by force. And only those who are radical and violent will make it in. That's possible. And very true. As you know, when you become a Christian, perhaps you're here and you gave your life to Christ last Sunday. I bet you when you got home that night, I bet you there was probably problems. I bet you something bad happened this week because Satan is not your friend. 
Satan is trying to hinder you. Satan is trying to thwart the plan of God in your life. Satan wants Satan is Satan is not a nice guy. Do you Satan never has a good day? Did you ever think about that? Satan never has a good day ever. And he's not your friend. He's always trying to thwart you and hinder you and keep you from growing and being blessed in the things of God. And so you as a Christian, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to enter the kingdom violently. You've got to enter the kingdom by force. The Bible says that Jesus said, if you just one chapter before, he said, if you are going to follow me, you've got to do three things. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Now, remember, that's one chapter before, but for Jesus, that was probably two or three minutes ago that he said that. And then he said, if you love your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, or any other person more than me, you can't be my disciple. So in order for you to get in the kingdom, yes, sometimes you're going to have to deny your friends. You're going to have to even deny your family. Didn't somebody write, though none go with me, yet I will follow? Yes, in that regard, you must enter the kingdom of God by force, violently, passionately. You cannot have a case, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be mentality concerning the kingdom. You can't be passive and, oh, oh, praise Jesus, I'll get in the kingdom. You can't. Now, that's another possible interpretation. There are some, and please hear me, there are some within certain circles that will tell you that this verse means that we need to charge the kingdom of darkness and go hunting after demons and go chasing down the devils of hell because the kingdom of God suffers violence, they say. I have heard this kind of interpretation. As a matter of fact, I heard it this morning. This is not what this is saying. And can I tell you, you want nothing to do with the devil. You don't want to take on the devil. You want to resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee from you. So there are those who will take this verse and say that we need to go charge the kingdom of darkness because the kingdom of God suffers violence. He's not talking about the kingdom of darkness. First of all, by the way, we're not talking about the kingdom of darkness. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And so it is the kingdom of God that suffers violence and the violent taken by force. And absolutely, if you're going to be a strong Christian and a bold Christian, you most certainly are going to have to lay hold of the kingdom aggressively and passionately, of which John did. And yes, the kingdom of God, people are coming against the kingdom of God, of which John knows firsthand. So in the Greek language, what is it, Rodney? It's both. Both interpretations are very, very possible. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And then notice in verse 14, 13 and 14. Now, is John the Baptist Elijah? Notice that all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John, if you're willing to receive it, is he is Elijah who is to come. Now, Jesus is clearly saying right here that John the Baptist is Elijah. In John chapter 1, look it up in your own time, they said to John the Baptist, John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And he said, no. 
Jesus saying, yes, you are, you are Elijah, John the Baptist is Elijah, and John the Baptist himself said, no, I'm not Elijah. So then we have a contradiction? No. What Jesus is talking about, here's the long or the short of it, what Jesus is simply saying is that, it, that John the Baptist has come in the spirit and the power and the ministry of Elijah. He is not saying that John the Baptist is Elijah. He's not talking about, by the way, reincarnation. And some people say, well, the Bible teaches reincarnation. They'll show you that verse right there. And you'll go, yeah, well, maybe it does say that. Really, it does. Well, that's not what it's talking about. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. Because when you're dead, you're dead. When you're dead, you're not coming back. And it amazes me how many people, you ever notice this? Maybe, maybe I'm just the only one, but... Have you ever noticed when people talk about reincarnation, in their past life, they were always kings and queens and princes and wealthy people? Have you ever noticed that? How come in the past life, people weren't like, you know, my past life, you know, I was a bathroom janitor. I mean, why why is it that people in the past life, they were never like, oh, I was a homeless person in the past life. In the past life, they were always rich and famous and kings and queens and all of this stuff. And the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. The Bible says it is once appointed unto men to die, and then what, saints? Judgment. You knew that. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. Yes, uh, John the Baptist has come in the spirit and the power and the ministry of Elijah. Now, I say verse 11, the last part of verse 11, last for a reason. I want you to take a look at it again. It says in verse 11, the last part, it says, but he, John the Baptist is great, but He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. The least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Now, you got to understand something here. Although John the Baptist was in is in the New Testament. He is actually an Old Testament prophet. Although he is in the New Testament, because the New Testament begins in Matthew, John the Baptist is actually a part of the Old Testament. He was an Old Testament prophet. Why? Because the New Testament, listen, because the New Testament did not begin until the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the Bible says that he sent his spirit down on the earth to dwell in us believers. And now that we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, in Acts chapter 2 is actually the birth of the New Testament church. So John the Baptist actually was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, but Jesus says in the New Testament church, the least in the kingdom is even greater than John. Why? Because, listen, we have the Spirit of God living within us. And because we have the Spirit of God living within us, we have the teacher living in us. We are the temple of the living God. And he leads us and teaches us in all truth. And so we know things because the Holy Spirit teaches us things. But the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist included, He did not have the spirit of God living within him. And therefore, there are things that we know as believers that the Old Testament prophets did not know. For example, Isaiah writes, 
For he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. For all we like sheep have gone astray, and we've all turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Isaiah would say, who's that? Who am I writing about? Do you know, as the Old Testament prophets would write stuff about Jesus and write stuff about the resurrection and write stuff, about the end times, they had no idea what they were writing. The Bible says that they were moved as the Holy Spirit moved their hands. That's amazing. And they just take a pen and take a pad and take a pen and begin to write, and the things that they are writing, they don't even understand it. And so they did not understand many of the things that they were writing about. Where'd you get that from, Rodney? Write this down. First Peter chapter one, verse 10. You look it up in your own time. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come unto you. So the Old Testament prophets wrote many things about salvation and about many other things that they certainly didn't understand. And even the angels, the Bible says the angels look into your life and they're looking and they see God's grace on your life. And they see God's mercy and they see as you sin and you call out for forgiveness and God forgives and they look at God and they go, wow, that's amazing. the, The angels never experienced grace. The angels never experienced mercy. They don't know what that's about, but we know what that's about. And so because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, because we know things, because we know stuff, We are greater than even John the Baptist or any other prophet. So even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. How? Because we have the spirit. John didn't. We have the blood of Jesus to forgive us of our sins. John understood the blood of bulls and goats that did not take away the sin, but kofar is a Hebrew word. It only covered their sin. It's like if I had a pen and I took a napkin and I put it over my pen, the pen is still there. But the napkin, the white napkin covered my sin. The Bible says the blood of Jesus does not only cover your sin, the blood of Jesus takes away your sin. And though your sin be as red as crimson, I will wash you whiter than snow. See, we know that. We look back on the resurrection and see what Jesus did. The prophets, they look through the quarters of time and they see the resurrection. We know things. We have many, many, many advantages, positionally and practically, and we don't even realize it. So many great and precious promises that we have as believers that they did not have, and yet we don't appropriate them. We don't even realize it. We have a message that will change the world. We have the answer to the world's problems. It's called the Bible. And we don't even realize it. And when we have problems, we don't read the Bible. We don't call on Jesus. We call a friend. We've got the Holy Spirit living within us. We are earthen vessels, the Bible says. Clay vessels. I like to call us crack pots. We're all a bunch of crack pots. 
And the Holy Spirit keeps seeping out. Hopefully. Onto the lives of other people. And so we're greater than John. Even the person that got saved last Sunday. They got saved a week ago. They're greater than John. Because they have the Spirit of God living within them. And may we as God's people take the Spirit of God into the world that so desperately needs to know Jesus. And may we leave this place and understand that we are greater than John, not because of us, but because of him. Not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. And may we take this great, glorious gospel message to a world that needs him. Your friends, your family, people in school, your neighbors, wherever you live, whatever you do, you tell people that this gospel is able to change your lives. The promises of God are for all men, if men would appropriate them. Here's a promise. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you call on him, you'll be saved. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.